We're in a series, in the middle of a series, on disciplined life. And how do we live a disciplined life for Christ? So as we dig into this, I'm going to ask you to do a little math exercise with me. Sorry. But I'm going to give you some help on this. All right. So I want you to think about how much money you earn or your family earns in a month. So put that number in your head. You've got that number. Maybe it is $4,000. Now I want you to take 10% of that. Okay. So this is where I'm going to help you. It's really easy. Just forget about whatever the last digit of the number is. And that's what you're left with. Okay. So if you make 4,326, then take 432. Just forget that last digit. Okay. And that's roughly 10%. That is 10% of your income. Why am I doing this? Why am I having you calculate that? Because I want you to imagine now that I take you on a shopping spree and I give you that amount of money every month and I say, we're going to go wild. How would you spend it? Maybe you'd buy a new PlayStation every month. Hope not. But maybe that's what you do. Maybe you'd buy some extra groceries. Maybe you would take that money and you would invest it in something. Here's what I want to tell you. I'm not taking you on a shopping spree with that. Actually, I'm doing exactly the opposite. Today, I'm going to challenge you that that's actually what God asks you to give to him. God's asking you to make a sacrifice. God is asking each of us to make a sacrifice. And why do I have you calculate that amount right now and give you this opportunity for a shopping spree? Because I want you to understand that God is actually asking us to make a sacrifice and to give to him. And that when we talk about tithing, we are talking about real money. We're talking about real opportunity to go to the store and buy things and to take a step of faith and instead turn that over to God and say, God, I know that I could go burn this money on something else. But I also know that you ask me to take a step of disciplined obedience and to turn this over to you because it all belongs to you. That's what it means to give. And that's where we're going to go today is to look into this act of making a sacrifice of faith. We've talked about spiritual disciplines. We talked about the discipline of having a prayer life. We talked about the discipline of having a devotional life, using scripture in our disciplines. Today, we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of giving, of being generous. Now, there's a lot of spiritual disciplines out there. Prayer. Bible study, meditation, fasting is a spiritual discipline. But giving is a discipline. Giving is a sacrifice. And when something is a sacrifice, it's not something that just comes automatically to us. It's something that we have to take care to grow. We have to take care to nurture. We have to take care to make it a part of our daily life. There are athletes who are very talented, that never amount to anything because they lack discipline. Then there are athletes that are very talented that become superstars because they are disciplined. To be at the elite level, you must be disciplined. So today, let's dig into the discipline of giving. So the first question I have for you is what does it mean, what does it look like to make giving a spiritual discipline. What does that even look like? What is the biblical model for giving? How do I turn this into a regular 
spiritual discipline. Well, first, what I want to tell you is that regular systematic giving is the standard in Scripture. This is the bare minimum, regular systematic giving. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6, 2. 1 Corinthians, and I said 6, 2, I meant 16, 2. So in your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 16, 2. You can look on the screen with me as well. But I want you to see what the Bible explicitly says. The Apostle Paul, in talking about collecting for the Lord's people, in verse 1, he talks about what he's told other churches. And in verse 2, he goes in to talk about what he is telling the Corinthian church. Here's what he says. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. So that's what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth. Let's dig into this verse just a little bit and see what exactly Paul would be doing here. What is his argument that he's making? The first thing I want to say is that the Apostle Paul never uses the word tithe in his writing. Not because he doesn't believe in a tithe, I don't think. I think it's because that's a given. It's unnecessary for him to use that word. Instead, he's drawn some other things here that we can pay attention to. What does Paul say? He says, on the first day of every week, regular giving. Why the first day of every week? Because they met together on Sundays. Why every week? Because they got paid daily. So in, in the Roman Empire, the standard was you worked. After work, you got paid. The next day you went to work. After work, you got paid. So by the time you came to the end of a week, you had seven paychecks. Or six, well, seven paychecks. If you were poor, you worked every day. And so Paul's saying, don't just keep waiting, sitting on that money as it builds up and builds up and builds up. Because guess what? Money in your, hole burns, money in your pocket burns a hole, right? Paul says, be systematic, be regular. At the first day of the week, when you meet together, you need to give. What does he say? Each one of you should set aside a sum of money. You should be systematic. You should be systematic. Set it aside. Because again, money in your pocket burns a hole. So set it aside. Put it aside so that you can specifically give it. And what, does, what else does he say? He says, in keeping with your income. So I want to talk about that for just a second. Because I told you that the Apostle Paul doesn't use the word tithe, because I think that was a given. In keeping with your income means in proportion to your income. Okay, the word proportion, the word percent, these are all of the words that when I used to teach math, people would freak out over, because it's hard math. That means a percentage of your income. Paul is actually here saying, when you get paid, set aside a percentage of your income and at the beginning of the week, of the next week, give it to God. So, the question that we should be asking is, well, what percentage? Because Paul said, do it regularly. He said, do it systematically in proportion to your income. So the question that it should be on everyone's mind is what percentage? And my argument to you is that the Bible actually speaks to this 
regularly. Back in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, I'm not going to go to all of these passages, but I will tell you them. In Genesis 14, Abraham, Abraham, the father of Israel, goes out to battle, wins the battle, gets the spoils of war, meets Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, that'd be the same God that we worship, and Abraham gives that priest 10% of the spoils of war. Later, Jacob. Jacob. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. After encountering God in a dream and seeing a ladder reaching the heaven with the angels ascending and descending it, Jacob vows at that point, from that point on, that he's going to give 10% of his wealth to God. Later, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 18, Moses sets up a rule for the country. The rule is that everybody needs to give 10% of their income to the Levites for their priestly service. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, Hezekiah, king of Israel, realizes that Israel has wandered away from God. He works to bring Israel back to God, to bring their focus back on God. And one of the things he institutes in his reforms of the country is everybody needs to give 10% of their income for priestly service. In Nehemiah, so Hezekiah is king, Babylon comes in, conquers Judah. Later, Babylon returns Israel back to their country, and Nehemiah comes on the scene to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. As Nehemiah is rebuilding the city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 10, Nehemiah institutes a mandatory payment of 10% of their income to the temple for the priests to use. So, from Genesis to Nehemiah, that is the history of Israel. The standard is always 10%. The Apostle Paul doesn't use the word tithe in his writing. I think it's because his audience knows. There's no question in their mind. We should be giving 10%. The Apostle Paul says at the beginning of the week, lay up what you've set aside in proportion to your income in order to give. Regular systematic giving is the standard in Scripture. This is the expectation that's laid out. We should be tithing. I encourage you to tithe. One other just sort of like frequently asked question, should I calculate that 10% based on how much I earn or based on how much I take home? Because, you know, the government takes home money too. That's a fair question. Here, I'll give you my first answer and my second answer. My first answer is, if you're not giving anything yet, don't even ask that question. Just start giving to start with. Okay. My second question is, if that's a genuine question, God gets the first fruits. I think you should give based off of your pre-tax money because God gets the first fruits. That's my advice to you, my recommendation to you on that. But don't let questions like that stop you from following God and giving sacrificially. Turn with me uh, to 1 Timothy 6 while I bring up the next point. The next point that I want to make is that generosity should be shown 
through offerings above and beyond a tithe. Generosity should be shown through offerings above and beyond a tithe. Here's what gets a little bit sticky, where it gets a little bit hard. I think the tithe is the expectation. Everybody should be doing it. This is like the bare minimums that God has set out. Give me 10% of what I've given you. And then I think God says, above and beyond the tithe, there's generosity that you should be showing. So in your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6. The letter of 1 Timothy, written to Timothy, one of the pastors that Paul has, tra- has trained extensively. And Paul gives Timothy this command. Read with me, starting in verse 17. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Generosity should be shown through offerings above and beyond the tithe. Everybody is commanded to tithe. Those, though, who have a capacity to be more generous should be more generous. If God has given you the capacity to go above and beyond the 10%, you should go above and beyond the 10%. Money causes all sorts of problems. If you don't believe me, the NFL draft has occurred. Just pay attention to how some of those guys do over the next five to six years. Most of them will have more money than we can imagine. And many of them will struggle in ways that we can't imagine. Money causes all sorts of problems. One of the solutions that God gives is generosity. One of the problems that money can cause is arrogance. Money can lead to arrogance. God's cure in 1 Timothy 16 here is that arrogance and wealth should be replaced with generosity. Rather than hoarding it and becoming arrogant, I just give it away generously giving to others. Money leads people to put confidence in money. The more money people have, the more confidence they tend to place in their money. Confidence in money, according to Paul here, should be replaced with steps of faith through sacrificial giving. If you find yourself putting your confidence in money, I challenge you, maybe you should give more of it away so that you're forced to place that confidence in God instead. Investments in the earthly should be replaced with heavenly investments. Ultimately, what Paul has for Timothy to preach to his congregation is that we should be generous, giving above and beyond the tithe. Actually, in Israel, the same idea played out. Israel had the sacrificial system, the required sacrifices that were to be made, as well as the required amounts that were to be given to the Levites. And we talked through a little bit of that. In addition to the sacrifices, they had offerings. Opportunities that they had, that they could go and they could freely give of their excess 
in, other, in order that others might enjoy that. Generosity should be shown through offerings above and beyond a tithe. I want to stop and take a second. I want to thank you. You all are generous. You all are giving. We have an amazing construction project going on that is proof of your generosity and your tithing. So my challenge is keep doing it. Continue to give generously and watch God bless. But you know, it's not just money. Monetary giving is expected, but it should never replace giving of oneself. So as we move forward, monetary giving is expected, but it shouldn't replace giving of oneself. Turn with me to Romans 12.1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, after writing a beautiful doxology where he talks about the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God and how beautiful God is in his given to us salvation, goes on and says in verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Monetary giving is expected, but it should not replace giving of oneself. We should freely give of ourselves, our time, our resources. Many of you teach Sunday school. That's a wonderful way to give of yourself. Many of you serve in various ministries, whether that be as deacons and church council, whether that be leading Bible studies, ways of giving of yourselves. We have a workday coming up. Many of you are going to give a Saturday to God. Monetary giving is expected, but don't let it replace giving of yourself. Because what we read here is this is true and proper worship. We want to worship God? Then give of yourself as a beautiful way that you can prove your worship. True and proper worship. I'm going to do one more math calculation with you. This one's harder. You thought 10% of your income was hard. 24 hours a day times 60 minutes per hour is 1,440 minutes. 10% of that would be 144 minutes. If you were to tithe 10% of your time, you would give 144 minutes a day to God. It's a lot. It's a lot. You might say, well, you know, I work during the day, and so I already tithe off of that because I earn money for that. Okay, fine. Let's knock an hour off of that then, right? That, that's, that's even more. Let's, let's just knock a whole hour off of that. So from 144 minutes, we're going to go down to 84 minutes. 84 minutes a day. Can you give 84 minutes a day to God? Now, now for my challenge for myself and Pastor Angel and Pastor David and Myra, we don't get to count the 40 hours a week we already do. That's an addition, because everybody else, that's an addition. I think that is something that we could strive for, to truly give, to truly put our trust in God, give him our time. You might be asking, all right, that's a, that's a hard one, so why should I do this? You've told me what it means to make giving a spiritual discipline. 
why should I make giving a spiritual discipline? Why should you make spiritual, giving a spiritual discipline? Well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 6 through 15. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talked about having sent Titus to receive offerings that had been given. And in chapter 9, he goes into the why. Why should we give? Starting in verse 6. says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of all the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Why should I make giving a spiritual discipline? Because successful, a successful farmer looks for places to sow rather than trying to scrimp on the seed sown. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I do have a garden. And after the first year of gardening, I learned an important lesson. You don't put one seed in every hole. It's a really important lesson in gardening because sometimes the seeds don't germinate. If you put one seed in every hole, you have a really weird-looking garden. <laughs> no. Instead, you put multiple seeds in every hole, and then as they grow, you pick out the strong ones and let them thrive. A successful farmer does not scrimp on the seed sown because seed is cheap and easy to come by. A successful farmer instead looks for places where they can sow seed. Because finding dirt and places to farm, that's a lot harder. And the same would have applied in this period of time for these people. Remember, where did they live? Kind of in the wilderness. Things are hard to grow. It's hard to find good land to plant crops. A successful farmer is looking for opportunities to sow seed. That is part of the reason why we should make giving a spiritual discipline. Because guess what? The money that you have is actually the seed. Sow it freely. Look for places to sow the money. Second, really focus in on verse 7 of this passage. Because faithful and purposeful giving tugs on the heartstrings of God. Do you know how to get the attention of a loved one? What it is that if you do that, 
They're like, oh, that makes me feel so much better. Or, oh, I'm going to pay attention to you now. I'm sure your kids actually know how to do that, right? They know the right face to make that makes you melt. Yes? Faithful and purposeful giving, according to verse 7, tugs at God's heartstrings. It doesn't say that God loves the gift. No. It says that God loves the cheerful giver. Now remember, God loved the world. He loves the world. It's not that God loves someone more than someone else or loves something more than something else. It's that it gets God's attention. I think the idea here is that the person who cheerfully gives grabs God's attention. The object of the love is the individual, not the gift. The amount of the gift also seems to be irrelevant. It doesn't say, for God loves the abundant giver. It doesn't say God loves the wealthy giver. It says God loves the cheerful giver. The heart attitude seems to matter. With God, value doesn't seem to matter. But rather, the amount of faith, the amount of joy, seems to be what God's focused on. In verses 8 through 11, I see another reason to give. And that's because God is the one who's provided the gift. God's the one who's actually provided the gift, so why shouldn't we give it to God? Growing up, every Sunday morning at 8.30 in the morning before my dad left for the church, he came down the stairs and he handed each one of us a quarter and said, put this in the offering plate from as long as I can remember, so like age four, all the way up till I graduated from high school. He gave me a quarter, put it in the offering plate. In many ways, that's what God is actually doing for us. If we rethink about our income, if we rethink about our money, as God says, here's some money, go put 10% of it, plus whatever offering you want to make in the offering plate. That's how we should view giving. In fact, those of you who are parents, you probably do this with your kids. How many of you give your kids some set amount of money and say, go buy me a birthday present? <laughs> whether you do that explicitly like that or whether it's implicitly, that's how it works, right? Right? Dads, the tools sitting in your garage that you got for your birthday were actually bought with your own money. You realize that, right? <laughs> this is the way God works with us is he gives us the money and says, now, by the way, 10% of it goes back into the church in order to support the work that's going on there. Just plan on it. I've given this to you, but I really expect you to take 10% of it and give it, give it to the church. That's just how I've designed this to work. Finally, because giving results in God being glorified. You want to bring glory to God? Then we give to God. Because what do we do when we give to God? One, we support the needs of the Lord's servants. I fully recognize that your giving is the reason why I have the clothes on my back today. And I thank you for that. It brings glory to God when you give because you support the Lord's servants in the work that they're doing. When we give, others notice. Not us, but steps of faith. If you go look, you see construction occurring. That construction is the result of people giving, and that brings glory to God as people sacrificially give. 
when we give others praise God. Every time we post a construction update, there are people praising God. It's the direct consequence of giving to God. When we give, we're actually confessing the gospel. Why? Because the gospel says that Jesus died on the cross, paid for my sins. I've accepted him as my savior. I have turned my life over to Jesus. I now belong completely to Jesus. So everything I own belongs to Jesus. And so giving is just an act of returning to Jesus some of what already belongs to him. It is a confession of the gospel when we give. When we give, we lead others to pray. Because giving brings about spiritual results, which brings about prayer. You see, giving results in God being glorified. So let me move on to the final. How? How can I make giving a spiritual discipline? Well, remember 1 Corinthians 16 2. Regular systematic giving. First, determine to regularly and systematically give. If you are not tithing, I encourage you to start tithing, to start regularly and systematically giving. But second, I encourage you to look and ask for opportunities to give above and beyond your tithe. That might be giving to Together We Grow, our construction project. It might be giving to a missionary. It might be just giving more to the church. It might be giving to the Deacon's Benevolence Fund. It might involve purchasing objects for somebody else, whether that be we've done diaper uh, drives for the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Anything like that is giving above and beyond the tithe. Look for opportunities to give above and beyond the tithe. And finally, give freely of your most valuable resource, your time. You realize that if you need more money, there is an easy way to go get more money. It, it can be hard work, but you could go get a job, and anyone can get a job doing something. It might not be fun, but there is a way to get more, more money. There is not a way to get more time. The Bible tells us that God has appointed a time when you give of your time, you are giving of your most valuable resource. And I encourage you, give freely of your most valuable resource. I want to go to our memory verse of the month. Micah 6.8. Read with me, Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. As we seek to live the disciplined life, we seek to walk humbly with God, admitting that he alone knows what is best for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have entrusted me personally with finances, with the money that you have given to me. I thank you that you allow me to give some of that back to you for your work. 
I pray that each of us here today would take the step of faith, the sacrifice of faith, to give. That we would tithe in proportion to our income. That beyond the tithe, though, we would acknowledge that we are blessed beyond imagination. I wonder what those in Timothy's church would have thought about the blessings that you've given each of us here today and now. Father, help us to give generously. But I pray that beyond giving of our finances, that we would give of our time, recognizing that even the time that we have here on earth is a gift from you. And that we would abundantly give of that time back to you. Father, it's not a matter of trying to be very careful about where we sow the seeds. We need to change our mindset. We need to fill those holes with seeds, allowing the growth to come, looking for opportunities to give. And I pray that we would be a church that gives abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen.